0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. Very excited. We're going to be talking some shared adversity. And as I go through my adversity, losing my left hand, I hope you all can use your, whichever hand you want, to like the show, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, do all that great stuff so that you can get your notifications in your emails whenever we go live, which is of course every day now if you have any thoughts or questions by all means put them in the comment section we will engage them directly and throughout the show i actually have one already from tanya direct messaged me with one on university so we're going to get into that shortly um any thoughts or questions before we dive into the topic
1: um yeah just uh, i'm I'm assuming you've got some form of a definition or some sort of uh, yes indeed
0: Um, If you guys are ready, then we'll dive right in.
2: It's rock and roll.
0: All right. Shared adversity. So I looked up adversity, obviously, just in and of itself. And it says a state or instance of serious or continued difficulty or misfortune. Now, that is just a very generic definition. But underneath it, actually, from dictionary.com has adversity comes from the Middle English Adversity, meaning opposition, hostility, misfortune, or hardship, which itself is from Latin, uh, adversus, the source of adverse, which means bad or unfavorable, as in adverse criticism or an adverse reaction to the medication. And that's just the definition of it. But, you know, doing some research, I looked it up, and I have this really great definition of it. it says shared adversity builds team cohesion people in the military know it so do coaches and athletes involved in competitive team sports it's the whole reason rope challenge courses can be found nearly everywhere and it's likely the origin behind the infamous trust fall the idea is that when people come together and share physical or mental stress they form a close group bond and get people outside of their collective comfort zones in a situation where they must depend on each other and you get a boost in trust and teamwork So, with all that said, I mean, there's quite a lot in there. What are your guys' first thoughts on it, Steve? I'm going to put you up first. What do you think?
2: Well, I mean, it's if there was ever a podcast that I would be on where I was feeling a sense of imposter syndrome, I think it would be this one. um, In the sense that, you know, I haven't been a Pathfinder and I haven't been in the military. Um, I, I, to be entirely honest, I wasn't much of a uh much of a team sports kid whatsoever because i couldn't really get my head wrapped around the actual sharing of the adversity on teams i felt like that was a struggle for me to sort of be able to share in the adversity in a way where i was bringing as much heat to the table as i could and it was a real problem for me to not have that be reciprocated uh to the point where it actually. conditioned me to be involved in individual sports where I was, I was the adversity was owned by me and executed on by me. Um, that said in my profession now where, I mean, my, I'm essentially my job is to share people's adversity with them and help guide them through it. Um, I think there's a ton to unpack in the idea of shared adversity. Um, and, and literally before I hopped on this on this podcast with you two, I got a phone call from a good friend, um, actually a very old friend who said I need some advice and um, was able to share some stuff with me that is definitely popped up in his life that's very adverse and was very surprising to hear any of it from him. But for him to say, can you help me with this or do you have some advice for me in this? And that to me is whether it's a team sense of shared diversity. I can't say I can speak super confidently or well to that or competently, but in an in individual sense or just in a sense of, of presence, I think I can offer some insight to that. So I think I want to be careful that our listeners are, are definitely able to identify with whatever sense um, of shared adversity that they feel in their lives. If it's not a team context, that's entirely okay. Um, you can absolutely share an adversity with, with, with individuals for sure.
0: Absolutely. Sean, initial thoughts?
1: Yeah, and Steve, that's uh, precisely why you're a perfect guest on today's uh, topic, because, uh, I mean, I don't need another Pathfinder to tell me how hard Pathfinder is, and I don't need another guy who's been on the teams to explain to me what shared adversity means. Uh, So you're the perfect guest for this topic as far as I'm concerned, because what do we try to do over here on the regular? We try not to exist in an echo chamber. We try to have broad-ranging opinions, almost contrary points of views based on a life, not on an opinion. And Mm -hmm. so uh, your your ideas and my ideas and Chance's ideas combined give a more three-dimensional model of what shared adversity means. So thanks for showing up, buddy. So with that out of the way... Um, I think that uh, shared adversity, uh, to uh, your point, Chance, a couple of things that I heard there that are standing out in my head uh, at this moment. One is, uh, no matter what the definition of adversity is uh, in everything that you just said there, the word that stood out was hardship. Hardship. You can, you can candy coat hardship into all kinds of words, and that's where the message gets watered down as far as I'm concerned. Adversity then turns into, oh, it's a bit windy out today. I'm a bit uncomfortable with the idea of thinking about how windy it is out today. Therefore, it's an adverse moment. No, nope, that ain't adverse. That ain't hardship. And so adversity, for me, has to be cleaned up to a single word, simply Hardship. And of course, there's many other words that I'd like to assign to adversity, but hardship gets the message across for today's conversation, for lack of a better term. Now, why I raise that is because the second thing that I heard uh, you say, Chance, in that was the trust fall, which freaking drives me bananas.
0: I figured it would.
1: (laughs) A trust fall. Are you joking? Not you, Chance, but whoever designed the trust fall, are you joking right now? That's building a team. That's building trust. That ain't hardship. That's a fleeting, non-memorable moment that lasted maybe two or three seconds. Why it's memorable, though, is the opposite of shared adversity. It's shared dopamine. Everyone high-fiving when someone half-catches someone and they've conquered their fall. I think it's a pile of nonsense. And what it does do is gets people to build into the dopamine hit as a group. That's not adversity. That's a rah rah sis boom, bah cheerleading moment. I'm not sure what anyone's learning in that moment other than the opposite of what they're supposed to be learning. If we're trying to talk about shared adversity as a group, adversity requires hardship, as we just said, or as I just said. It then requires another ingredient called timeline. Adversity isn't a one second thing.
2: Oh, did you see that
1: one second it was so adverse whoever said that doesn't understand adversity adversity is hardship over a long enough scale of time that it sucks squared x squared suck squared adversity squared we'll call it it has got to leave a mark and so as i explained in my ig uh, uh, feed uh, post this morning before I came into this. Of course, Chance had uh, put out the word that we're going to be talking about shared adversity, so I thought about it. And one of the shared adversity moments that came to mind was uh, kind of a sporting event, kind of a military event, kind of a kick and arse event, but a really hardship-based competition. That was uh, back in 1988. Pathfinder platoon was competing against every single person in that brigade. Uh, all of the units, all of the teams, all of the things. And we dominated as we should, as we were expected to, in my mind. And so uh, we pushed the pace to a degree of adversity where I can still remember that sting. That's adversity. Now, when you're facing the kind of adversity that leaves a mark and you're surrounded with people who've shared that mark moment with you, man, I can still remember those guys. And how rad that was, how much we grew as a team, how much we tightened up our bond, how much we focused in the moment as to what the actual task was. A trust fall does not create a tight bonding moment that will have someone running right through a drywall in order to get into the next room to go save the person. What it will do is, for the rest of the day, everyone's high-fiving and eating crustless sandwiches, patting each other on the back. Trust fall is the opposite of shared adversity, in my opinion. If, if, if there's not enough blood, sweat, and tears in that crustless sandwich uh, conference room, it ain't adverse, in my opinion.
0: That is amazing. The crustless sandwiches. <laughs> that is, you know what? The funny thing is, the trust fall is the crustless sandwich of mm-hmm. adversity, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's kind of sad. But um, I do want to hit on these real quick. Glenn, morning, fellas. Good to see you. Thatch in motion. Good morning, team. Good to see you. Um, and I, I want to <clears throat> kind of take it down this road, too, because the concept of shared adversity seems like such a good it seems like a thing we'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. We should all be, you know, share our adversity and work hard together towards this next uh, objective. But I think the thought of it <laughs> is much more prevalent than the actual act of sharing adversity. right? And I think that's something that we need to dig into a little bit because, as you've said many times, there are thoughts and there are actions. <laughs> there mm-hmm. are the people that you can count on when things go south, which usually have shared adversity with you to begin with. And there's people you can't, which usually have not shared adversity with you. Now that's not a hard uh, hard line in terms of yes, this guy. If you've shared adversity before, that means they'll always share adversity with you forward. But it's a pretty good general line in terms of if they have shared adversity with you before, they're more than likely to share it with you again, if that makes sense. So, what are you guys' thoughts on where that? Uh, I guess where that line sits between those that are with you and those that aren't, if that makes sense, Steve.
2: Uh, well, a couple things. I, I love the idea that Sean brought to the table of, of adversity being a timeline-based thing. Um, I feel like I'm, I have a ton of gratitude in my life for all of the um, outdoor ed backpacking trips I've done with uh, hundreds of kids now over the, over the years, because what I get really fired up about in those scenarios is that I'm sharing six days with kids out in the wilderness. I'm sharing six days of pouring rain. I'm sharing I'm sharing literally forty centimeters of snow that collapsed two of our tents on a four- day trip because the poles broke. That it really I hundred I, percent I connect with this idea of of the timeline of hardship leading to what is actual adversity. because then what we're doing is we're connecting with people in a sense that, you can't share adversity with somebody unless you're sharing empathy and compassion in those moments. Like I, I think that empathy and compassion are uniquely and, and directly tied to the idea of shared adversity because that's where the sharing happens. You know, it can be in a very hardcore sense. Like if you're sharing, if you're sharing a MRF workout with somebody and it's blood, sweat and tears and you're, you are on the struggle bus. Yes. You're sharing that hardship with them, but it's short lived. Right. There really isn't time to develop empathy or compassion in that because you're talking about an hour to an hour and a half window for kids that are a little unhealthier. Right. You're talking 35 to 40 minutes for the kids that are fit. That's an experience that can open a door to wanting to connect with somebody and then maybe share some more hardship with them over a longer term. And I think that's, I was listening to your guys' post from yesterday, and it's that idea of earned respect and earned trust, right? That circle of trust that was spoken about. And and I think Sean spoke to it pretty emphatically. It's like, no, 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 you're going to earn it, and then you're going to keep it. And I think that that is what breeds moments where hardship can then be felt, like actually internalized and taken into a place where it's like, okay, I'm trying to put myself in that person's shoes through this hardship. And I'm trying to actually feel what they may be feeling, because guess what, we all kick way more butt if we're sharing the adversity, but on a feeling level. Like if I can actually say, I know, where I, I, I'm, I can never say I know, I can feel where Sean may be coming from. So I'm going to come alongside him, and now we're going to share that because I'm going to take some of the work if he needs me to. And that's where the compassion piece—that's where we shift from empathy into compassion—is—is is feeling into action. And if Sean needs me to, and I would never pretend to know what somebody needs, but if they look at me and they give me that look because we're sharing enough hardship and that look says, I need you to take some of this load from me, then guess what? I'm going to cowboy up and I'm going to take what's needed. And then that experience over a longer period of time starts to build this idea of like empathy and compassion and then trust in the hardships that we're going to share over, over length of time. And then guess what? We've shared a bunch of adversity. And I think that builds pretty meaningful relationships.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sean, you got uh, something to add?
1: Yes, I do. And uh, I agree with Steve. It is a timeline-based situation. And what that timeline is, is based on the individuals that are in it and how intense it was and how much time you get to process the adverse moment. And so I'll give an example here just to kind of throw it, get us started with this. The trust fall is, as I've already stated, pure nonsense. And so the something like a Murph workout, if it's two guys, two girls, a guy and a girl banging out the workout together, that workout can create a whole pile of different outcomes, depending on the two individuals that are standing next to each other. If someone is mid-outcome and they look at that person the right way or the wrong way or in a way, That can start elevating the adversity of the moment through either healthy competition or through a sneer or through whatever. It doesn't matter. In that moment where two humans are together in a moment that's starting to become adverse, the adversity can be dialed up intentionally, almost in a way that is not, we'll call it playful, but has some playful characteristics. Of course, if it's really adverse, it's hard to call hard adversity playful, but you can, you can create moments of adversity that started off with a playful look, a competitive spirit, as it were. And so into that adversity, I don't want anyone out there to think that the moment that we say the A word, we're now talking about that's a really bad thing or that's a negative thing. I'm talking about go freaking pursue adversity. I wish I had a dollar for every time I've said that. And so when you're in that adverse moment uh, and let's say two people competing on a MRF competition uh, in your school, as an example, that competition, that moment when they both stop, whoever wins or whoever loses or if they tie, who cares? But the moment that it stops, that's when the magic happens. That's when it becomes the more shared moment. And what do I mean by that? You can look at each other, give a nod and walk away, never see each other again. And that nod can be as powerful as anything they've ever felt or done in their life if it's done the right way. But that usually takes nuance. So how can you get to that point where that brief timeline moment of the completion loop creates that mark or that memorable adversity shared moment? It's usually built through a process of taking longer, to better understand the short nod. And what I mean by that is, both uh, athletes can stop the MRF or complete the MRF, walk over, put their backs on the wall, slide their sweaty backs down, hit their bums on the mat or the floor of the gym, and look at each other and think, wow. And then share the moment for five, 10 minutes. It doesn't matter. However long it takes for those two humans to, to bond more on the bonded moment. It's just like BJJ. If you go for a hard training session or even an average training session, if you're sweaty, tired and kind of a little worked over at the end of the night, at the end of the night, what's not uncommon is to put your back against the wall, slide a big sweat stain down it, shake your head and look at the guy or girl next to you and say, that was quite a night. Now, now you're in the shared adversity. Adversity action adversity processing. The real glue of the moment occurs in the processing, and it can take 30 seconds to create that glue if you're really good at the game, if you've been in it a long time, or it might take half an hour if it's someone who's new to the game and still trying to figure out how to play the shared adversity sharing moment. And so through the actions and through the processing, you can create a memorable moment, but I need to do this. I need to pull up my post from uh, before I went live here uh, because I need to categorize that we're not just talking about a MRF or a BJJ session. So I'd refer to shared adversity comes in many forms, sporting events, environmental disasters, the war on terrorism, addressing the challenges and stigma associated with mental health issues, there is no shortage of shared adversity. So we've started off talking about who can throw the furthest javelin. Now we can shift into things like Lahaina is now burned to the ground or Florida just got smashed or Kelowna just got hammered or guess what's happening in China, guess what's... There's so many things going on in our world right now that are epic scale adversity, shared by hundreds of thousands of people currently, geo-located all over the globe. And we've started off the conversation talking about a trust fall, so to get some context, and I know, Chance, you were never claiming that a trust fall is shared adversity. I'm claiming that it's the literal opposite. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a scale that we're talking about of shared adversity from a trust fall all the way through to half the planet's on fire kind of thing. There is shared adversity all around us. Some of it is obvious and some of it isn't. So maybe we can scale up the shared adversity to some degree and talk about
0: that. We can absolutely do that. Unless of course you'd like a crustless sandwich, in which case.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if if someone would quickly mop my brow after my trust fall, I wouldn't mind a cucumber sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) A
0: little bit. (laughs) I just wanna hit on these comments before we uh, move forward because there's some good questions in here. So Cage says, I'm hungry now, all the sandwich talk for sure. Uh, Good day team, good to see you Carl. Kyle Skipper jumps in with a good day, y'all, and a fist bump. Good day, Kyle. And then we have um, a question from Eric that I wanted to hit on because it really sits perfectly where we're sitting right now. Sometimes circumstances force you to share your adversity when they expose how vulnerable you slash your loved ones actually are. And it forces you to lean on others instead of just yourself. And I think this goes into almost like, well, I guess the difference between what we were talking about first off the trust fall or working together in a team environment or being a part of a military or something like that is those are all voluntary adversities, right? I'm choosing to be, to go into this adverse situation. I am choosing to train for it. I'm choosing to get ready for it. I'm choosing to then test myself against it. And the reason I want to put this up is you're talking about um, natural disasters and things like that where it just happens, now, all of a sudden, you have to rely on the person next to you. You don't even know them all of a sudden. Now, you have to put your life in their hands kind of deal. So, I I do want to answer this que- this concept here, but what do you guys think about the the difference between that uh, personal, I'm going to go and do something adverse, versus adversity, just punching you in the face
2: kind of deal? Steve? Well, I mean, I have a lot of... Um I have a considerable amount of worry about the forced adversity upon us uh in the current climate that we're sitting in right now and uh a-, fr- a friend of mine in the b c Wildfire service was you know up in Kelowna dealing with what essentially forced adversity, and they were seeing essential elements of the worst of humanity out there in the terms of they're staging pumps they're staging hoses they're staging vital equipment and um instead of people rallying around to assist with that, they were showing up to their equipment being stolen. They were showing up to people trying to access properties that had, had been destroyed to see what they could loot. Um, and that's not in some foreign land. That's right here, right now. That's in real time. And so my a worry I have is that where shared adversity should be bringing us closer together because of our vulnerabilities, as Eric mentioned. I mean, I really like that idea um of a vulnerability being shown that's where somebody has to be relatively attuned to their willingness to engage with it as opposed to pushing it away and i think one thing that that really that sean mentioned earlier the word i kept coming back to in my head was engagement right like we have to be willing to engage with shared adversity because if we're not willing to engage on even the most basic level here let me hand out some water bottles where can I move these pallets of stuff to? How can I, how can I comfort a child whose who's home is just burnt to the ground in, in the case of our, our local scenario? If we're in, we don't have a willingness to engage because we're afraid of what we can or can't do, and I think a lot of people are unwilling to engage with adversity because they fear being inadequate. Whereas in a collective sense of, in, uh, of shared adversity, we need everybody to do everything that they are capable of doing like to not i my my context my context is quite limited but let, let's take it back to like a 6 day trip out there in the wild there is the kid that can always be useful picking up sticks do you know how many sticks we need to burn fire so that we can cook and stay warm i don't care if you can't tie your own boots you can pick up sticks and that makes somebody feel valued as part of the shared diversity and whether it's an embarrassment factor of somebody not being not having skills enough to engage in something if we as, as confident good leaders in those scenarios are, are willing to be mindful of what's around us and see what's around us, we can empower people to become involved with the shared adversity. And I think that that's an interesting element when we get into these conversations is the idea of leadership. Like who is going to lead when things are going sideways? You know, cause then we get into these weird power, power dynamics of like, well, who are you to tell me what I should be involved with? I try to operate my life in the sense of the collective, whatever I can do, To move the ship forward whether it's a classroom whether it's a group of kids in the woods whether it's a natural disaster on my street whether whatever it is my vision is going to be how do we move this whole thing forward in a healthy way and if that puts me in a position where i have to say to somebody hey we could really use somebody to pick up sticks well that person then has a decision to make about whether they're willing to be vulnerable enough to be the guy or girl picking up sticks which is very valuable overall versus this idea of like well no i'm capable of more i can do more well, who does that serve? Does it serve the collective or does it serve their own inadequacies or feelings of self-worth, you know?
0: Yeah, 100%. Uh, I have a thought and some more comments here, but Sean, do you want to hit uh, your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, so um, there's we're talking about two very different things. One is optional shared adversity. One is non-optional shared adversity. So when World War Six comes across the horizon, that is called non-optional. That, that is a thing that is right there, right now, and you have zero options. You only have one thing in front of you, and that's to deal with it. Mm. And dealing with it by yourself or dealing with it as a shared adversity, which one is better? No doubt, shared. And so uh, two people as a fire team is better than one person as a wanderer. And so shared adversity in our future is going to become mandatory. And so, um, whereas optional adversity is not mandatory to some people, but I think optional adversity is mandatory in order to understand how to deal with the mandatory that's going to come across the horizon sometime in the future. It doesn't matter what year it is it's coming and that adversity can come in all kinds of forms it doesn't have to be world war 12 it could simply be just another raging fire it could be another blah 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 use your imagination but adversity on a larger scale than a trust fall is gonna is it's coming right down the pipe this year next year the year after doesn't matter and it's what we do in that moment as a society, as a shared adversity moment. So to your point, Steve, <clears throat> what usually happens in these shared adversity moments where it's a legit large problem, not there's there's crusts on our crustless sandwiches today, it, it usually requires leaders, either natural leaders that step up and they're uncomfortable in the moment, but they're gonna lead because they're a natural leader, or someone who is not a natural leader is going to force themselves to start leading because leadership has to occur in these moments. There'll be all kinds of leaders in all kinds of adversity on a semi-global scale at some point in our near future. And if you want to do the best for those people around you, start learning how to lead now. Mm. Start learning how to interact properly with people now. Start helping people understand That you're the guy or girl to turn to when adversity strikes and here's why because if it's a hard enough adversity there's no time to debate there's no time to fill in the form that says okay everyone take a form let's let's see what your qualifications are to lead in moments of shared adversity as the zombies come across the horizon there is no time There's no time to practice. There's no time to talk. There's no time to organize. There's just this. You look to your left and right and try to identify who's going to be the best in the moment. And then you get on with the problem in front of you. And so that problem, like a a wildfire, can go on for days and days. If it's a war, it can go on for months and years. Look at Ukraine as the example. One year, there was no war there. Now we're five hundred and fifty odd days into it and it's only getting worse if you pay attention to the details and so shared adversity is all around us and there's a massive demand for the right people in leadership roles at that time and if you don't think you're a leader now you'll be a leader in the future but what kind of leader do you want to be the ineffective one that everyone's looking at or the effective one that people need in the moment so start moving towards becoming a better leader.
0: Yeah. there, There's there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> and, um, I wanted to hit this point on, and you alluded to it there, Sean, but the, I think what, what separates those people is the ego. Everybody wants to be Radmaster 9000, right? They want to be the leader on top of the hill, telling people, you do that, and you do these things, and you go over there, and blah, 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 and be that effective person in that moment. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that That's what we see media-wise, right? All the movies and all of the TV shows and all, it's always that one person standing up from nowhere and being like, yeah, everybody follow me and everybody does. But in in reality, what actually happens is somebody just starts working and then somebody else starts working and then somebody else starts working and then they start looking at that first person as the leader because they were the first person to do something and then kind of carries on from there. In terms of, uh, especially, like, disasters and things like that, one of the instances I think back on is um, the brush fires in southern Alberta a few years back. Uh, they were ravaging the uh, the pasture lands around my family's ranch. And the one thing that all the ranchers did was they would go to each person's local, like, their home property, not the uh, pasture lands, and they would help water the grass and they would help move Ooh. all the cattle and they would immediately just start working together as a community because they knew that they had a better chance of not only survival and, um, you know, survival of their business and survival of the ranch by helping each other than by trying to screw each other over the, or that or by only focusing on themselves because you can only water so much grass on your own kind of deal. And uh, I just, I think we need to, put a fine point on the fact that it's usually the ego, at least in my, from my perspective, that prevents people from being a part of that shared adversity where they will fall back on themselves. What do you guys think? Steve? I got uh, two things. Uh,
1: one is, uh, I agree that uh, there used to be a time when neighbors used to look after their neighbors on the regular. Now, and, and when that was occurring, uh, we'll call it 20 years ago, um people would band together far more frequently and you know what it didn't get was a lot of press mm. no one really talked about it cuz it was freaking normal and the notable part about those kind of get togethers when someone's fighting the uh scrub fire or whatever everyone is freaking sweat blood and tears do you know what happens nowadays there's no sweat there's no blood and there's no tears because you don't have to do any of that when you band together on your digital brush fire. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yep.
1: So I'm going to move on from that subject and I'm going to talk about, uh, the ego, as you said. And, and I feel that that is uh, critical to the conversation. I'm recalling right now, I was out on a backcountry skiing trip. It was out for a week. We're up in, uh, oh, it doesn't matter where we were in the mountains. And, uh, we're about halfway through the trip, and uh, we're up on a mountain ridge really exposed, and I was on my telemark gear and uh, had all the stuff on my back, and uh, the weather moved in really quick. and as I was watching it move in, I had lived most of my life in the bush at that point. i, I was I wasn't too long out of the uh, military, and uh, I had a few qualifications under my belt what and, you? Uh, <clears throat> and, and I'd probably spent more adverse moments. At that point in my life than the entire group combined oh. and so the unfortunate part was <clears throat> some of the group well some other than uh, one person only one person knew who who i was or what i used to do because i wasn't chirping about it i was just part of the group some s- maybe skinny old dude uh, hanging out in the corner doing his thing not talking too much to anyone but when we're up on the mountain when things started going sideways Uh, I observed what was going on in the group, and I could see it turning into basically a crew of disorganized basic training personnel. Like, it was a gong show. Everyone had opinions. Everyone thought that they were the Radmaster 9000. And as I looked at them, I would have failed them all out of basic training. You know what I'm saying? So um, it came to a point there where it was getting really dodgy, like a make-or-break moment. And I looked at the guy who was, quote, unquote, trying to lead. And I said, hey, man, I'm turning around and I'm taking everyone with me. And if you want to keep pursuing, you're going to go by yourself and good luck to you. And that's that. And he started arguing with me on top of this mountain. Like we're being blown sideways with zero visibility kind of thing. And he's arguing with me. And so I looked at the people behind me who were like all sheltered down, huddled up, trying to, like, kind of survive in that moment. And I said, I'll see you all over there. Start walking that way. I'll be right there. And they all stood up, turned around, started walking, sh- shuffling into the uh, gray. And uh, I turned and looked at this guy, target-locked him in a way that he'd probably never been target-locked before, and in no uncertain terms, explained to that guy how bad I was going to kick his ass unless he got with the program. And, you know, he's, he's a grown man with his own ideas of how much experience he's got and how rad he thought he was. But in that moment, I cleared it up for him how not rad he was and how he was going to do a 180 and follow me off that mountain down to uh, cover. And so uh, I think about those kind of moments. There's been many of them in my life where I've been in a group where someone's ego would have driven the group right off the cliff edge where someone's ego and typically completely completely unqualified in the moment decides that their bright idea is the right idea for the group based on their ego, not their experience, not the book that they read, just that they had to be the man in the moment, the man that they ain't. That's the ego. And so that shared adversity moment If you've been in those kind of situations where you start seeing the ego flare and things are going sideways and you've been in that spot so many times that it's almost yawningly predictable, it's your job to step in, grab someone by the scruff of the collar, and if you can't shake some common sense into them, I'm not saying clip them upside the head and drag them off the mountain, but do what you got to do to save the group, not save the ego
0: great point Steve you got any uh additions to that
2: yeah the word that just keeps leaping to the tip of my tongue is entitlement um and I really think entitlement is a is is the toxic element of ego um especially when you're sharing something with somebody and whether it's positive or negative um we are entitled to nothing we are entitled to the willingness of others to make a situation better and and if you're not willing to share that willingness because your ego's in the way then you, like sean said you are part of the problem you are not part of a solution if, And sorry i'm inferring that's what sean was implying but it's like i've been i too have been in situations um in the wilderness that have been challenging like make or break and and one of them required a search and rescue extraction and and during the extraction I mean i laid in the mud for three better part of three hours holding a guy in c-spine and as the as the SAR team started to trickle in because we were out there it was a it was a lengthy a lengthy process as the SAR team started to trickle in and we were developing our team that was going to do the ropes extraction etc there was this um you were it was very tangible who was who felt like they were entitled to a position of power on that team and they were not helpful they were they were part of the di- like they were part of the disorganization of that extraction. When what we needed was we needed all hands on deck, and we needed to work together to get this scenario resolved, which ultimately it did. But it was very interesting to me because when we were transitioning to ambulance to to get out of this out of the scenario to care, um, I could hear the debrief already starting amongst the SAR team, and. The what I, I don't know who was who by title, but I could tell who was demonstrating fine leadership in that because they were taking the person who was behaving in that entitled way in that scenario and they took him to the side and I could hear them get started. And that conversation was not kind. It was like you were part of the problem out there. And so when we think about this idea of, of putting our hands in the mix and, and becoming a part of a, a shared experience we we don't have room for the entitlement like this should be done by somebody else i just think that it's uh it's something that's that's toxic in our in our culture in our society right now and and i mean obviously amongst youth i see it in spades in the high school it's like you are seeing people walking past things that could be resolved very simply because they feel like it's somebody else's job and and that's where you know mentorship and leadership become a really critical part of this because when you share an adverse moment or an, or an even an extended period of time, like when I think about kids that have been born into scenarios that aren't their choice, they're just a bad situation. I'm totally not the fault of a child. They need somebody to ride or die with them over an extended period of time. Because th- as much as the ego can be inflated in an entitled way, an ego can also be destroyed or crushed in a, in a, in a hurtful debilitating way. And that's where, Having somebody who is willing to share that experience with you, listen, and the other word that really comes strongly to mind for me is presence. Like to share something with somebody, you have to be present with them. And whether that's a group, an individual, whatever that is, um, uh, your guest yesterday, the the fighter, his Eric was his name.
0: Oh yeah, Eric. Yep. Yeah.
2: yeah, and and I and I, I was really glad to hear him using language around emotional intelligence and mindfulness and. And essentially what those to me, what it always has felt like is you have to be willing to be present with somebody to share, actually share with them. Now, Sean's very right. Like there's sometimes where action needs to happen and it just it we'll talk about it and we'll debrief later. And I think that's what when we think about adversity, do we ever really have effective you guys call them AARs after action reports, I believe. Mm-hmm. But like in mod in, in civilian culture or or in my profession, like there are so many really critical moments where we could have effective reflection and debrief and we don't and so are we limiting the ability to share are we limiting the actual shared adverse experience because we're just not taking the time to actually kick it around and share and reflect and be present with it I think that's a limiting factor for sure that I would love to see people um, and all organizations be more open to you just have to have effective people who know how to debrief
0: it, that is a definite challenge. And actually, I have a a question from Tanya that I want to put up here. But Sean, you got any thoughts on that before I?
1: Just just that uh, I think that no, no organization in the world, no industry in the world, no team in the world does it as well as a hard-charging small military organization, small unit. Because the debrief that you're talking about is happening in the now it it takes about 3 seconds it's a look it's a quick sentence everything gets course calibrated immediately there's no uh there's there's rarely a moment when things are moving that fast that uh, you can pause and say okay let's just uh, let's grab some chairs and let's sit around and talk about this there's none right. of that it's right. dealt with right now and i think that that's also a critical element of this conversation is understanding how to deal with shared adversity, understanding how to do an effective uh, after action report, understanding how to communicate with someone when when it's it's real time problems, when it's real time chaos, when you're surrounded by fires. These these are moments that most people aren't familiar with. They're not they're not toolled up to deal with because they've never had to in real time manage massive chaos uh, as it unfolds around them. There is no safe space. There is no take a time out and think about it. There's none of that. They're simply dealing with the problem in the real time in an effective and efficient manner that may only be three to five seconds of communication and then the charging keeps continuing. And so I feel that there is no other industry, as I said, that does this as often, but I'm not saying that they do it the best because it depends on the small unit and the culture of that unit, how well it's led and et cetera, et cetera, how long it's been in the game, its it's experiences and outcomes and all of that good stuff. So I'd put a, a tier one unit up against any industry in the world for this topic, shared adversity, and how to not only enter into it and manage it, but dominate it and come out the other end smarter for it. And so if, if a bunch of knuckle-draggers can do that, how is it that it can't be spread out into schools, into, into architectural industry, into all of the things? How is it that that can't be done? And, and I think that uh, society is just reluctant to put in the wait for it, dot, 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 sweat, blood,
2: and tears.
0: I think you're absolutely right on that. Uh, Steve, what do you got?
2: I just more had a question, um, connected to what, what Sean just finished with. And that, like, I think about all the things that I would consider shared adversity and they've all had a critical element of intensity to them, whether it be weather, whether it be health of somebody, whether it be, um, the fine line between ride staying on the trail and riding or riding off the trail to your peril. Um, the masses how do we get the masses to connect with this idea of intensity and the focus and the and the everything that comes with it i mean a tier one team it's life or death i i can only assume i can't can't speak from any experience but decisions that get made in those three to five seconds they are the difference between success of mission or failure of mission um you know my my young friend matt he's a he's an rcmp member and and i i worry about him because the world is getting to be a challenging place, he's incredibly squared away and he is a relative hard charger in my books, of course. And I still wonder, you know, even with his intensity, how can he make connections with people who haven't had those intense moments? Like for him to have a healthy debrief, if they haven't been walking even a quarter of a mile in his shoes, then how can somebody really make a like, like a, a legitimate connection? And I, I think that, you know, until people feel the intensity of these things? Are they even able to understand what it is that we're speaking about in terms of debrief and, and, and the sharing?
1: Well, isn't this interesting? Because now we're at a point where I get to drop my atomic bomb of uh, mic drop. Oh. <laughs> Not really. But uh, before, before I jumped into this uh, topic, I was thinking about shared adversity. And what that means for me, what it means for all of the different uh, careers that I've had and all the people that I've met and yada, yada, yada. And then it brought me to this point. The now. What are we doing right now? Mm -hmm. The collective is a creation that is designed to deal with mental health challenges and et cetera. And so the biggest risk for some people right now is their minds, their mental health issues. And so our job over here as a collective, this podcast and any other podcasts that we do, is to face that adversity for others, to have these conversations for others, to share our experiences, our stories, the guest stories, our entire lives. We're sharing it so that the collective can face the adversity of the mental health challenges that are out there right now. We're actively encouraging people to discuss mental health. We're actively encouraging people to fight against the thing that's trying to drag them down into that void. Every day we're over here, at least I am, I haven't forgotten since January 1st, the reason that I'm here. The shared adversity of standing in front of a microphone doing something that I don't want to do, it's all adverse to me. And I'm comfortable with the adversity of it, here's why, because I know my why. And, and I think that's the real trick. You know, if you're doing a MRF workout next to someone and you don't know why you're there, then you're not putting out your best. And if you don't know why you're there after you've done the Murph workout and you slide your back down the wall, leave a sweaty mark, and you look at the person next to you and you still don't know your why, that moment is lost. The magic of that moment where you both get to understand your whys. You don't even have to talk about it. But as humans, we know who's in the game and who isn't in the game. And as humans, we also know if a person's in the game, why they're in the game, if it's for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons. Beyond that, it becomes details and nuance and, and granularity of who that person is. But at its core, I think, as humans, we know when someone's in it for the right reasons, and we generally know their why. And so that shared adversity over here on The Collective, that we're, we're all being vulnerable. We're all taking our time to face this mental health issue adversity so that we can encourage others to form a tighter bond as a group as we discuss these kind of things and start normalizing the adversity of it through a conversation and through inspiring others to try a little bit harder uh tomorrow and today etc
0: yeah that we have uh there's a great comment here i wanted to <clears throat> put in because it goes directly to what you're saying and it's the uh basically the concept of being the man in the arena right you, you want to be there's lots of people that want to be the star of the show they want to be the guy who wins all the time shows up and he's like yeah and, every, and he's they're lauded for it right that, there's a desire i think to be lauded but here, here's the comment carl hits in with uh, fear of being inadequate That is a solid point. That plays a huge role in a group and why I find it better operating alone because I'm only inadequate to myself when I fault, not others. And this ties into what you were saying at the very beginning, Steve, where you you would see other people not putting in the work that you, or you would see other people and believe that they weren't putting in the work that you were putting in. And I had a similar issue too for many years. And it wasn't until actually starting the collective and realizing how much... Requirement it was to just be part of that team and do your best in whatever job you are a part of in that team. It it require it actually removes that ego piece of it, I think, and that fear of being inadequate, and it allows me especially to be a part of the team, to play as a to be to play within the team as a team player rather than play. In the team as the star, if that makes any sense there. Uh, And I think it goes right into what you're saying, Sean, in the fact that if we are going to uh, advance into this mental health issue, then we need to be open and vulnerable and be willing to stand in the fire, willing to be the man in the arena so that others can see, oh, it is possible. And if you do fail or you become inadequate to yourself, so be it. Do better tomorrow. Or do better right now or do better in ten minutes, whatever it is, If there's a possibility of doing it better. at least my thoughts on it. Uh, Steve, you got any thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean I, I love what you just said there that the possibility of doing better is there every single day like it, it really is and it, it's not a it's not a it's not a maybe it is there. Um, and i've I think I've at times maybe been a bit harsh with that uh, in the sense that you know when things are are going sideways i've 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 found myself just saying to people do better like and i've actually barked it at them right and i (laughs) i did this with my wife the other day i don't encourage it um but we were we were down in mexico and we just got back from mexico on the weekend and we had traveled into a smaller town in mexico and and my situational awareness i'm not tactically trained i i but i think my radar is pretty pretty decent and we were in a situation where I was starting, my radar was triggering about the people around us and the situation that we were in. Um, And my wife is just lovely and believes in the world and believes in the positivity of all things. And that's one of the things I love about her, but she wasn't sharpening up to what I needed her to sharpen up to in terms of our environment and what was around, because we had the kids with us. And and I just kind of said to her, I said, do better. I need you to do better right now. And in the moment, it did steer the ship the direction it needed to go because we were able to change our situation and I felt like things improved. But the after effect of, of maybe the crassness in my delivery of do better um, mm-hmm. definitely had to be played out. <laughs> Luckily it worked out in my favor. Um, but I, when we're talking about the elements of mental health and we're talking about, about what we need people to do and that is they we need them to do better and we want them to do better. It's not that we need them, we want them to do better for themselves and, and for overarchingly the collective as a group um so I feel like there's there's work to be done in terms of figuring out where that line lives about how we get people to do better or the level of intensity at which we deliver the message at least that's the work I need to to work on both in my personal life but also in in my professional life with the kids that I work with or or maybe even the people that are attending the mental health walks and whatnot you know like we all know that we can all do better and we get a chance to every day, but maybe how we encourage them or how we deliver that message is, is the work that I need to keep my eye on. Yeah, for sure.
0: Sean, you were, uh, you were muted when you were giggling to yourself there. Yeah, I know (laughs) It, it was
1: unimportant. Uh, what I will say is, um, that Steve is right. Uh, we all can do better. We all need to do better. Uh, the delivery of that message, timing as they say is everything, but it still needs to be said. And even if the timing was incorrect, it still needs to be said because even if uh, your your comment then caused you to bump into an iceberg later that night, uh, well, I mean, there's a lesson in that as well, but it still needs to be said. The conversation needs to be had. That's what's called an after action report, I suppose. Or that's the moment where you're both sliding your sweaty backs down the wall, looking at each other, nodding and thinking, "We're in. We're in it now. Uh, let's uh, Let's figure it out." So, uh, to KH's uh, point, the fear of being inadequate, and uh, that plays a huge role for him, and that's why he likes to operate alone. I, I get it. I totally get it. And uh, maybe that's part of his uh, feeling of inadequacy. Slash. Um, imposter syndrome. Anyone here got imposter syndrome bigger than mine? (laughs) Oh, put your hands down, you fools. It's not bigger. (laughs) And so, I mean, this is a deal. I'm, I'm, I feel like a Ronin. I, I would have been quite comfortable, uh, bumbling through the world all by myself. I'm skilled for it. It's how my mind works. I do best when I'm by myself. I, I can hunt and move without anyone else. And so um, I like being alone. I like doing things by myself. But that doesn't create the understanding of what shared adversity can offer you. You have to get in with a team, even if you're underperforming. You have to get in with a team, even if you don't think you belong there. You have to get in with a team because it's the team that is going to teach you what tightly bonding with other human beings feels like as you move through that adversity. What empathy feels like when you're in that adversity. What feeling like part of something bigger than just you is. That's what shared adversity is. Now, if, if the team that you join does it well in those shared adversity moments, the outcomes are wins, Maybe they're micro wins, maybe they're big wins, but they're wins. Not just in the moment as you feel all the feels of being part of something bigger and better than just you, but the outcomes of putting out that fire, delivering that charitable donation, blah, 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 all the things that teams do in adversity and after adversity, these are the things that you can chew on for days and weeks after the fact. If you're running your life by yourself, your only input is your senses, seeing the world through your eyes. But if you're part of a team that is kicking ass facing that adversity, now your sensory abilities are ten other people who are standing all around you. Now you've got a bunch of senses that are feeding into the situation. You can view the world through your teammates' eyes as you look at him, and see that he's struggling as much as you are. It can give you context, it can give you perspective, it can give you yardsticks, it can give you a view towards a future solution that you can engage in and think, I might not be a leader in this group now, but if I keep my nose to the grindstone, and if I keep being a valuable member of this team, one day I might have to lead this team. And now you've got something to aspire to, and if you can aspire to these kind of positions, now you're not just aspiring, now you're inspiring. Mm,
0: that is a great way to uh, kind of finalize the conversation, I guess. We'll have to carry this on tomorrow for sure, because I think this is a great, uh, it's actually been quite interesting to watch the evolution of this conversation since we started Monday, <laughs> and the the concept of you know what makes us, and this is a big part of it is not only shared Mm. adversity, but singular adversity and, uh, and how that affects the team, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots to dive into on this. I I know. And we're going to get into some final comments here in a second. I just want to hit a few of these comments before we shut her down. But, uh, so bear with me here. Tanya says at KH, I feel military teaches you how to fail regularly and with panache, (laughs) constructive feedback (laughs) in, uh, BT slash selection or being placed in trainings, you can't win and AARs inoculate you from sensitivity. She says collegiate wrestling involves weekly matches. Loss is inevitable. As a result, they are adept at handling those feelings unlike other athletes who compete once a year. She continues, I don't know if intensity is always required. Perhaps investment is a close proximity. My art college professors did weekly critique of my work that I was deeply invested in my skin grew thick fast and uh so any thoughts on that before we do some final thoughts
1: yeah it was freaking legit <laughs>
0: yeah uh steve any thoughts on it
2: yeah i'd no i mean that that sounds i think developing some thick skin is a is a healthy thing and i'm i'm looking forward to talking about uh the thickening of skin in in next week's topic for sure um <laughs> Yeah. She, yeah. Bang on. I think yeah. if I, can, can I, can I come back to one idea? Absolutely. It's been um, Sean was talking a lot and, and passionately speaking about this idea of team. And I just want to like, for, for people who are listening, if they're struggling with the concept of team or they're, they're feeling that far away from being connected to a team, I just want to bring the word community to the table, like find a community around you that, that is a stepping stone to this idea of being a part of something. Like if cage's KH's idea of inadequacy. I wonder if inadequacy could be replaced with the word disappointment. Like if you, if you've ever connected yourself to something, knowing that you're likely to be disappointed and you try that over and over and over again, that can, that can put up a pretty big wall. And I speak from personal experience on that one, like being disappointed by the actions or behaviors of others is, is, is forgivable and it, and it, it can be handled with grace for sure. Um, and what I did is I found myself wanting to connect with people, but I couldn't go to that team concept. It was just a bit too foreign for me at the time. So I just connected with a community, like whether it's an art group that that is like they're communal, the way they think is communal, their passion is communal. It it's It, it all of a sudden just kind of peels the layers away from your heart a little bit and allows you to connect with others in a group setting. And then over time now you're all of a sudden seeking out this idea of deeper connection. And then I think that's where teamwork is really exciting because it's like a deeper level of connection that you share. And, um, so if you're out there and you're struggling, just, um, find your, find a little community to belong to and let that feed you.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So now I have, um, to Carl cage jumped in Kate with the thumbs up and he says, very true. So outstanding. Um, I have one more question for you guys from a comment from Tanya from before we even got started. And I want to hit this. So we're going to use it as a final thought. I'm going to ask you the question and then give your final thoughts on it. And then we'll shut her down for the afternoon. Here it is. Uh, If it will pop up for me. Nope, not going to pop up for me. So I'll just read it. Here we go. (laughs) It is what steps are required for a team to maintain enough impartiality slash perspective in order for this not to be a crabs in a bucket slash echo chamber one can rest on laurels or remain trapped in adversity even in a benign fashion as an example young jocko being chided for talking only about seal stuff by a fellow seal team guy so there is uh there's that question what are your guys's thoughts on it in terms of final thoughts for the day uh steve what do you think
2: I think that diversity of uh, diversity of challenge and diversity of adversity, if that's not too cheesy to say, um, because if you're all good at something or you're all working towards, you're all working towards a common something. That I guarantee you, everybody who's working towards that common something is also experiencing other things. And so, I think that constantly evolving in terms of like if the goal is something let's say military base, which I can't speak intelligently about. But if if, if the goal is here, every person on that team is experiencing something family related on the outside. So what is the team doing to develop themselves or to evolve in terms of how they engage with their family together as a group? Like, can we increase the diversity of the challenges that we're facing so that when we come back to the target thing, we're doing that with a more holistic, like well-developed place, I would say.
0: I like that, Sean. What do you think? Uh,
2: Could you
1: just quickly paraphrase that question again, please? Absolutely. I you don't have to read the entire thing, yeah. just what is the intent?
0: Um, requiring a team to maintain enough impartiality perspective in order for it not to become an echo chamber. So how do we how do we develop the team in and of itself in order to uh, not create an environment in which we all just sit around going, oh yeah, 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 that's the answer to the problem.
1: Uh, okay, so that's what I, I heard. Uh, what What I heard to paraphrase it was, How do we not settle? Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Would you like my answer?
0: I would. Yeah. Boom.
1: Pick up the pace. Pick up the pace. And what does pick up the pace mean? I know that we've got these mugs that you can purchase on the website, by the way. You're welcome, (laughs) Chance Burroughs. Thank you very much. The thing about this mug is I feel that sometimes it's misunderstood or not understood as well as it should be in respect to this message, pick up the pace. Pick up the pace doesn't mean you got to run out your door this morning, or more correctly, run right through your door and just keep on running like your Forrest Gump. Uh, What pick up the pace means is do more than you think you can today. And that's on all levels. That's not just on your freaking Forrest Gump running shoes. That's on all things, psychological, physiological, emotional. I have lots of guys uh, on the regular contact me and say, hey, Sean, how can I become dot, dot, dot? Start reading, you nerd. What? I got to read? Yeah, you do. Pick up the pace on all levels. And if you don't know how to pick up the pace, then get involved with a team that's already picked up its pace. To KH, as an example, feeling like, um, not maybe feeling solitary is best for him. Too freaking late, K-H. You're in the game. You're on the team. You know the moment that you type a type that stuff into the collective's question bank? Guess what? You're on a team and have been for quite a while, by the way. So welcome to the team, K-H. You ain't out there wandering around all by yourself. Here's the best part about the team. Once you're on the team, which you are... Now you got to freaking pick up your pace, represent, represent yourself in a better way, whatever that means to you for the team, which expects you to do better because we all need fire support as a group, as a collective. The moment that KH gets better, I get better. We all get better. That's what's supposed to happen. Shared adversity is what grows people. Individual adversity only grows the individual. One is singular, one is plural. I can assure you that the pluralized version of adversity is the best adversity that you can face.
0: Yeah. Uh, There's a quote that is kicking around in my head, and I'm sure you guys know it, in that a rising tide lifts all ships. And the interesting thing is that each one, that rising tide is not a singular event, right? That tide is multiple... Billions of water molecules all together working on one thing, and that is moving around the ocean. But what <laughs> the point is is that none of that none of that is singular. Oh. It is not a it is not a rising tide. It is rising tides. It is plural. And the more we can work together, the more we can develop um, the concept of working as a team of sharing the adversity. That allows us to learn what we can do better and then once we learn what we can do better we can build upon it and once we build upon it we can grow into the person that we're meant to be and you can do that with us every day here on the collective see y'all tomorrow chimo gmo, GMO.